American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. My name is Alex, joined, as always, by my co-host, James. Greetings, everybody. We are here today to discuss... A match review for Everton versus Aston Villa at Goodison Park happened today. We tied 1-1, and as we know, pretty much for the season, our ambition for Europe has essentially concluded after the last match. Um, we also know that we're pretty much safe from relegation. So, James, what are your uh, just real quick instant match reactions to drawing Aston Villa at home? I mean, I feel like I'm living in Groundhog Day here. It's like the last four matches have been boring and uninspired and frankly kind of a drag to watch. And that's not what I'm looking for when I tune in to watch Everton. I'm either looking for a crushing heartbreak, which happens more often than not, or at least like a little something to be happy about. And we did get that in the form of a late Theo Walcott goal today, which was good to see. But for the vast majority of the 90 minutes, it was very uninspired and just the same problems resurfacing and showing themselves yet again. And we can talk about the lineup and we can talk about the tactics, but ultimately I'm just ready for the season to be done and dusted and move on from whatever the heck we've been forced to watch for the last four matches, but also for such large stretches of this entire season and large stretches of the past X amount of seasons. Right. But, you know, I sat there today just wondering after like the the first 20 minutes or so, you know, why can I not get into this? and it was simply because I think, A, we know we have nothing to play for. B, we're not used to having matches in the middle of July, in the middle of a workday, right? So it's just kind of different. And then honestly, on top of all of that, like you have no fans in the stadium. And so it just feels like an exhibition match at best, right? And all of those things compounding just kind of make it really uninspiring from a fan's perspective to watch. Now, the interesting thing, real quick, before we jump into like, you know, the lineup and tactics. After the Wolves match about four days ago, Seamus Coleman was quoted by saying, we've been hiding behind managers for too long and this manager won't accept it. Now, this manager made five changes to the lineup and uh, he ended up bringing in the likes of Awobi, Bernard. Uh, we had the two Davies and Andre Gomez in the middle. Mina dropped out and uh, we also have Seamus Coleman back because he started on the bench against Wolves as we started with a slightly different formation. Um, James, were you pretty surprised about the lineup in general? No, I was not shocked at all, Alex. And to be quite honest, the moaning from fans the second the lineup comes out, I'm just so sick of it. If I, you know, to be frank, no disrespect to anyone. Everyone has a right to their opinion. But what are we going to... It's like people expect him to like put in Beningami to throw in like Jao Virginia in goal to put Sidibe Holgate <laughs> in midfield. It's like, it's just not going to happen. It's just not how management works. If those players were good enough, we would have seen something from them by now. Throwing them in there now is asking a lot, probably too much. Obviously, Carlo feels similarly if he's not playing them. So can we 
at least for once, like, and, and I guess it's because the, the play has been so bad. But just as soon as I saw the lineup, I knew what to expect. I knew it wasn't going to be good. I knew we probably weren't going to win. But I wasn't surprised, and I wasn't, like, angry at anyone or upset because it's just the way that it is. He has the players at his disposal. He has to play them. You're either going to get Davies and Gomez, Sigurdsson and Davies, or Gomez and Sigurdsson. That's just what we're going to see for the rest of the season, barring some immense, huge surprises coming. So I just don't see the point of, like, getting down and, and defeated as soon as the lineup comes out an hour before kickoff. It just does nothing for me. I know what people like to have things to complain about, but it just it just frustrates me to no end. It just like Mason Holgate is not going to play in midfield. He played there a couple times out of absolute necessity because we had literally no fit midfielders at the time. He is not going to play over an actual midfielder. He may do a good job there, but that's just not going to happen in my mind under Carlo Ancelotti. It's not something that that is in his repertoire. Yeah, I mean, for the whole Mason Holgate conversation, right? Like that may have been a conversation back when when he put in a good performance when it when it happened uh, the first go around. But I think the difference is now he's like legitimately cementing himself as one of, if not our best center backs. And, you know, we're extremely scarce on center backs uh, in general this season also because we never signed a fourth. We were hoping for Kurt Zuma for the entire summer and then never got him. Um, but it's safe to say, I think, from the start of the match, it did look like we started with a lot more intensity a lot more desire. We were trying to move the ball forward quicker than we were against Wolves. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think from the get-go, we came out with quite a bit more intensity than we've seen, at least in the last couple games. Trying to get the ball forward, almost right off the get-go, we get a relatively decent chance. I mean, Calvert-Lewin trying the spectacular overhead kick to try to score early on. But it was clear that, you know, the problems still remain. I mean, I thought Bernard's touch was pretty terrible early. He had a few nice ones as the game wore on. Tom Davies, not his best game yet again, but he did, again, as the game kicked off, around four four minutes, he had an amazing, almost perfectly placed, long diagonal ball to yes, Richarlison making a run in. That was excellent. We had a sense of urgency behind us. We were switching fields quickly, and you know we got a couple decent chances early, couldn't make anything happen. And we kept, I felt like Villa, we kept him at bay for a good portion of the first half. Obviously, it ended nil-nil. So not a whole lot to complain about defensively, but also offensively. I mean, we can't get Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin involved. It seems like they're so isolated. They're not connecting with one another. They're not connecting with the midfield. Richarlison definitely didn't have his best day today. All fair points pretty much spot on. I think we saw from Aston Villa today that they were happy to kind of sit in a little bit and have our center backs, give our center backs possession. And I think what happened was, we started to see our outside players like Bernard Nwobi tuck in so much and sit so deep because they were trying to help move the ball up forward that then we saw Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison making runs into the wide channels forward because we had the ball on the touchline so often today. And because of that, then we didn't have any link-up play between uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison at all. I mean, Richarlison definitely wasn't great, but at the same time, I mean, him and... Calvert-Lewin just didn't seem to be on the same wavelength. I mean, when you saw one of them with the ball, the other was seemingly never around. Uh, but an important note for the early part of the match, Mason Holgate goes down with his shin again, and his shin was the problem, I think, last time out. And so was, we had, yeah. yeah, so we had no choice but to bring in Jared Branthwaite again. And as we know, against Wolves, he came on and legitimately the first action was, you know, essentially he 
conceded a, or he, he gave away a foul and then they conceded and he was guarding the man. Um, but this time around, he comes on and essentially within the first, I don't even know, 60 seconds or so, he finds like a really nice lofted pass over two uh, Aston Villa players to Lucas Dean on the touchline on, out on the left-hand side. And I mean, immediately he was pretty dominant. I liked how, how he looked physically. He was playing a lot of crisp passes as well. And so I think that uh, seeing him come in, it, w- it was nerve wracking, but I think he settled in pretty quickly in the first half. I agree. I think when he came in is really unfortunate to see Mason Holgate go down so quickly after finally coming back fit, but to see Branthwaite come in, you know, that given how his last appearance began, that there may be some jitters, there may be some nerves, but he settled in quite nicely. Like you said, I mean, he won a couple aerials. He had his range of passing was actually quite impressive as well. And there was the, obviously the floated ball out wide, some really nice completed passes, looked very composed on the ball. And he also had an altercation with Tyrone Mings where he basically got sat on and (laughs) came up no worse for wear. So looks like he's a durable player as well. I think he's got a bright future. I still think he's a little too young to be a first team player in this Everton squad will probably benefit from a lone move where he'll play regularly, but he, you know, got the call of duty and he responded and he delivered a, a composed performance. And it's, unf- it's, it's telling that in sense project restart, our two bright spots have been teenagers who have <laughs> made their senior debuts and not any of the millions and millions spent on senior players to come into the side that have really stuck out. I think it just speaks to the hunger that these young players have to make an impact. Whereas there's there's a lot of passengers in this Everton side, and and I, I'm not going to accuse anyone today because overall I thought there was at least some fight shown. There was very, very poor execution in the form of wayward touches, misplaced passes. But as a baseline level of effort, I thought it was a it was okay. It wasn't great. It wasn't super impressive, but it wasn't a complete catastrophe. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it it's like Coleman kind of saying it how it is after the Wolves match, talking about hiding behind managers for too long or for long enough. I mean, you could tell that like they made a conscious effort to give to give more on the pitch. But, you know, one of the commentators made a made a comment that I really resonated with, and that was imagine if Goodison Park was full today because our players would have been hearing it before kickoff, especially what they expect. And I think we would have gotten a more energized performance, but I think it would have also been a little more nervy. And so I think that this is honestly, I mean, it's not a great situation, but it's, it's really telling that now, like, you know, you have the captain saying you can't hide behind the manager. And now I think today, you know, you can't necessarily hide behind saying that you have, you know, a semi-aggressive audience at Goodison Park, right? Because it's we're no strangers, and, and it's it's well known that Goodison Park fans are are extremely passionate about their football, and, and rightfully so. Uh, I think all fans can get fed up with some of the stuff that we're served up on a on a yearly basis. I mean, I can only imagine the earful that Tom Davies would have got when he had that wide open shot at the top of the eighteen and just sort of a lackadaisical volley over or hits it. Nowhere near the goal, never hits it with any kind of conviction. I think the players after the last few performances are probably a little bit thankful that the stadium's empty in a lot of ways because we know when we're on a losing streak how as good as the Goodison Park atmosphere can be and as imposing an environment it can it can present for opposition, equally as much it can be a detriment to the team when 
things aren't going our way. The fans, after decades of underperforming teams, will turn very quickly on the team when they're on the pitch. And, you know, if it weren't for one, an extremely fortunate missed, basically wide open goal by El Ghazi when he's basically on the goal line, I don't know how he doesn't score from that position and go put Villa up to two right, nil. Right. And of, I mean, it's a good header from Theo to get it across the goal line, but at the same time, you got to kind of be a little bit thankful that, that Reyna wasn't able to get a hand on it or that, um, you know, the center back wasn't able to bike it out. We, this is a fortunate result. We're very lucky to escape with just a point. I, I fully expected us to lose. And I think based on, you know, both teams had one shot on target, but I think Villa looked, especially in the second half, miles the better side, at least until we scored. That's definitely fair to say. I mean, their midfield was running us ragged. I actually really liked the, the, the energy. I know this is the uh, American Toffee podcast, but I did really like the energy that uh, McGinn and, and Grealish brought to the center of the pitch for them. And I think that was that was a big part of our struggles today, specifically in the center with Andre Gomez and Tom Davies. However, uh, when when talking about you know before before we equalized, and and we definitely did gain a lot of confidence when that happened. Andre Gomez is the one that swung in literally a beautiful cross, which obviously was was finished by Theo Walcott and a beautiful uh, looping sort of header. But Andre Gomez, I want to say, quote me if I'm wrong, had four key passes this match. Yeah, that's according to who scored. Right. So four key passes. Now, I remember starting the match in the first 10 minutes and Andre Gomez lost possession twice in the first 10 minutes. But then you see on the flip side, he had four key passes in a single match, especially when our forwards didn't seem to do a whole lot of anything. That's kind of impressive. It's not it was not the midfield performance that we need, but it but it's kind of impressive. Am I right? Yeah, I think. Obviously, we know that Andre Gomez can be good on his day. He hasn't been good lately. Fans are crying out to sell him. I still think he's a victim of the tactical setup that we're that we have to play right now. In a composed and balanced midfield, I think he has the capability to shine with his long range of passing, his vision. The dispossessions, though, today were very bizarre. Like you said, Alex, two within the first ten minutes, and I think you know three or four within the first half. In our own half, he is very persistent when he has the ball of like trying to shield it and keep possession instead of just passing it. And there was also that, that dribble move he tried to do that was not even close to coming off. That was a bit ambitious on his part, but at least he's showing like spurts of confidence and he's trying things, which we've seen very little of from players like Tom Davies who look like they're maybe coming or stuck in their shell a little bit and afraid to play with a little bit of freedom. I think we saw Gomez, come out of his shell a little bit today, try some different things, be a little creative. And the balance isn't there in midfield. We all know that. But I do think that going forward, if we can get a decent partner alongside him or two partners, if we end up playing, you know, three, three man central midfield, he can still do a job for us. He's still a, a solid player and he can create. And that was a really nice cross for the Theo Walcott goal. You saw Anthony Gordon making that run in front of him, calling for the ball. And Andre says, no way, no way, kid, get out of the way. I'm pinging this one in. And he puts a great ball to the back post. Yeah, I mean, do you think it's fair to say that Gomez was definitely one of the players that you would say reacted positively to what Coleman said about hiding behind managers? And and we know that, right, like Andre Gomez has just come back from a super serious injury, you know, and he's back early, too. He's early, he's back earlier than expected, and he's been playing regularly since Project Restart. But he was terrible. I mean, he was legitimately awful. I don't think he was great today, but I think his offensive performance specifically. 
in the later part of the second half is something that I think Everton fans would like to see in general in an encapsulated form of, of a solid 10, 15 minutes, right? Yeah, I, I think so too. And, and he gets a lot of stick, but deep down at his core, I think he really appreciates the club and the ethos of the club of being a, a family oriented and community based club. He knows how he got so much support when he went down injured and we brought him back to health a little early. Frankly, you know, if not out of necessity, he may have just not played at all. Like no one would have blinked twice if we had said Andre's done for the whole season and he's going to take the take the summer to recover and get back to 100 percent and return next year. But he's back now. He's getting games. And no, he may not be the fastest and he's definitely not the best defensively. But does he have attributes that can contribute positively in the direction Everton are going? I think he does. And I don't think we need to sell him, obviously. There's a lot of players that we do need to sell. I don't think Andre Gomez is one of them. Yeah, that's completely fair. I mean, and and you know what, Lo? Like, worst case scenario, you know that he would be a very, very good squad player, too, in the direction that we're going. So you keep someone that is definitely the toward the top end quality of your central midfield. Although, again, as you said, the tactical setup doesn't favor him. But, you know, you don't necessarily play a tactical setup for only one player. You know, other players are are shining, specifically our defense is shining in this formation because they've got a four flat across the front and the offensive pressure that Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison provide. Um, but, you know, the, the other thing I saw, uh, kind of a debate on Twitter that I, I want to ask you about, James, see, see what your opinion is on it. You know, my question was, why would you have Bernard come back in to start over someone like Anthony Gordon when Gordon has legitimately been like the brightest player on the pitch most of the minutes that he's played? since Project Restart has begun and he started uh, being a regular contributor. And some are convinced, quite a few actually are convinced, that they think, you know, today's lineup was a factor of, well, obviously you can play who you have, and we're playing every three days so people get rotated, but but also just a simple go out there and show me what you're you're made of because you have about a week and a half until the season's over and, and the transfer window opens. Yeah, and I also saw some speculation that maybe Bernard's in the shop window, so to speak, where we're maybe looking to sell him. I'm not dismissing that idea, but I also think he, if he was in the shop window, he didn't really uh, attract any buyers with his performance today. In a lot of ways, the things he does well just don't really suit the Premier League in general because his size, he just gets absolutely bullied off the ball and he's never going to win a single aerial against any, any midfield or defender in the entire league. So he's in a lot of ways like a liability when we're playing very direct. That said, he did have some really nice link up with Luca Dean a couple times. By the way, Luca Dean, I thought had a really good game. I think he won like six aerials, really good. But as far as Bernard's concerned, again, he seems strikes me as a player who maybe could contribute as a sub, but he also seems like he needs time to like get into games and feel his way into how the other how the opposition wants to play him. Not seeing a lot from him as far as passing range. I mean, he had a couple decent long balls, but just not impressed with him since Project Restart. And and I don't know how much you can generally take what we have for, since Project Restart and say this is a true reflection of these players because there was such a bizarre like gap in play and and players who knows like the level of fitness that they're really at. But as far as him starting over Gordon, I think. I don't think it's much more than squad rotation. I'm not reading much more into it than that. I don't know what your take. Do you think that that it was just squad rotation or you think it was something else? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm of two minds, right? Like, I think 
I do think that, I mean, we always talk about it, right? In this scenario, we have nothing to play for in terms of no Europe, but also uh, no relegation. And so fans classically just shout, like, play all the kids, like we have nothing to play for, right? And and the the sentiment there is you just want to test the squad and see what you have for next year. So I don't think it's outlandish to say that he could be doing the same thing, but on the reverse, really seeing who should be able to cement themselves as a first-team player and who should probably go and who who's not worth it to him. Um, but at the same time, I think that, you know, we know what Bernard can do on his day. I don't know that this setup is very good tactically for him either. But, you know, sometimes I do think that you have to lean on experience as well. You know, sometimes when, when your team is playing poorly and you have all these senior players with all this experience and they're not doing well, Sometimes you need to switch it up and sometimes you really just need to have like give the trust to your players and say, well, you know, you have Bernard here who has been doing terribly, whereas we have Anthony Gordon here who has had barely any experience in the Premier League whatsoever. Who do we need to lean on? So uh, it's an interesting conversation. I mean, I don't know that I personally want to read into it and say for sure what I think it is. It's probably just squad rotation, but I don't know. It's a fun thought. I think so, too. And I mean, I think there's there's only so much turnover that we can have in, a, right. in an off season, right? We can't sell seven first team players. If we only bring in four, we're already paper thin. You'd have to think that the incoming players have to outnumber the outgoing. So realistically, who can we o- who afford to offload right now? You know, you're looking at like a Gilfie Sigurdsson, someone like that, who clearly needs to go before we can then recoup absolutely nothing for like a free transfer. Um, but another player who I thought actually had an okay day, maybe not his most impactful performance, was Alex Awobi on the other wing. And I know he got substituted kind of early, but I think we saw a little bit of what he's all about today. He had some really nice passes into the box. And again, he's playing out of position. He's playing on the right-hand side, which I think would probably be like his third choice position behind left wing and, and a number 10. He knows how to play a ball. And he's probably our most, I don't know, not necessarily agile, but player who who can take a player on and, and put a cross into the box. And he did that a few times today. I thought he, he played all right, better than better than he's played the last couple of times out, certainly. And probably better than a lot of fans would give him credit for. Yeah. I mean, he's one of our most incisive passers, specifically those diagonal type of passes into the box, whether it's across or on the ground. So, I mean, he, he's definitely, he's another one of those players where he's got a lot of premier league ex- experience for his age. And, you know, he's another player. I think that w- was a really good addition to the squad and hopefully we'll see the best of him probably next season, which I don't think is, is terrible to ask, but to wrap up the episode shortly after the match, it was uh, tweeted by Paul Joyce that Everton have tabled a 14 million. uh, I think it was pound bid for Pierre Hoiberg from Southampton. He's a central midfielder. He started his career off at Bayern Munich and then ended up coming to Southampton. He's been here for a handful of years and he's been a, a consistent performer for then. All of a sudden, uh, since Project Restart, he hasn't been included in the team, and he's been stripped of his captain's armband because he wants to leave the club. So, James, uh, what do you think about Hoiberg in general? And then, secondly, about the fact that we've apparently offered 14 mil for him. I think for 14 million or in that region, it would be an excellent deal. From my understanding, I've watched him a few times. I'm not by no means an expert on him, but he's definitely more defensive oriented where he can win a tackle and and possess the ball from deep and look for passes. I think based on that description, it sounds like something that we desperately need right now in our midfield leadership, obviously captaining Southampton speaks for itself. Like you don't become a captain if you don't possess leadership qualities. So I think that's another element that he'd bring that would be extremely valuable. I'm just concerned about 
overpaying for him, but he's what, 25 years old, 24 years old. So still yet to reach his prime. I think it would be a really good buy and he's in the last year of his deal. So hopefully Marcel can, and it's been rumored that we've been linked with him for a while. So this isn't exactly a surprise, but it is uh, the first official. If it's Paul Joyce, then you know, it's pretty legit. The first official word that he's uh, been, been targeted with an official bid. So it's good to see that we're finally making moves in the transfer market. Frankly, I'm much more excited for what we're going to do in the transfer window than I am for any of our remaining matches. So uh, let's go Marcel. Let's see what he can do. And I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. You know, and, and you know, another player with that kind of, that kind of uh, profile it was McGinn on Aston Villa. I know a lot of people started mm. to rate him pretty highly uh, since this season. And I made it, I made it a point to really study him while, uh, play uh, during the match today specifically because it's it's a point of contention our midfield is but uh I think Hoiberg would be a really good signing for us and on top of that like the the price is right which is something refreshing to see for I think all Evertonians and I really think that's a factor of as you said last year on his deal and then also like the implications of COVID um not to mention our financial fair play regulations and and constraints right so like we are not going to be able to uh, outlay very much cash unless we continue to sell other players. I think from what I understand between wages from the likes of Martina, Nias, uh, Schneiderlin, that's what's going to cover or what could potentially cover um, a lot of this on the balance sheet. Yeah, there's we've heard a lot about how financial fair play is going to stymie our attempts at a massive rebuild. So I think we all need to kind of set realistic expectations for what's actually going to be possible in this transfer window. We're not going to buy 10 players and sell 10 players and all of a sudden have a completely revamped squad next season. We're probably going to spend pretty wisely in key areas, central midfield being one of them. So Hoiberg checks that box, looking at hopefully at least another outside wing, hopefully on the right wing, a player that plays naturally there. And then we kind of have to adjust right back at this point because Coleman, though he has been rock solid for so long, his days are numbered. So we have to start looking towards the future and I know people want to upgrade at every single position, including goalkeeper, striker, center back, everything. <laughs> you know, you you can't do it all at once. So we just have to be pragmatic about it. And obviously, Marcel Brands feels that way. Carlo has said it to the media that we have a clear plan for the summer, clear targets. I trust the team between the two of them to fully deliver on that. It may not be the dream scenario for most Evertonians, but they're going to do the best with what we have available. Absolutely. So look out for our post-match episode following Everton versus Sheffield United next Monday, July 20th. And until then, up the toffees. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg slash ATP and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Toffee Pod.